0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Beat My Guest. I'm your host, AJ Mass. If you're new to the show, each week I invite a guest to sit in the hot seat and field questions in a wide variety of topics, earning points for the episode on a scale of 1 to 100. For those of you playing along at home, you have but one task set before you, and that is to see if you can Beat My Guest. But before you can beat my guest, you need to meet my guest, so let's give a warm welcome to today's guest, Susanna Brooks. Susanna, how are you?
1: Hey, I am doing well. How about you? Uh,
0: hanging in there, a little bit rainy today, but, uh, you know, that just means climate change is very, very, very fake. Absolutely fake news. There's no Absolutely such thing.
1: Absolutely fake news. Yeah, totally. Yes, if I, have,
0: if I have been throwing up for, like, you know, uh, a month and a half straight, and then I only throw up once every four days, I'm not sick. Yeah, you know, No, yeah, definitely logic. not. logic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to the hot seat. Uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself?
1: I am uh, living in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, it's a pretty good trivia town. Um, I am married and I have a little daughter who's four, and um, her best trivia categories are probably uh, new wave pop from the 80s. Um, and so I work as a uh, publicist and editor for public television. Um, yeah, so but you're, yeah, you're, you're
0: good. Close personal friends with uh, with whatever replaced Mister Rogers.
1: <laughs> yes, I am. I'm close close personal friends with the ghost of Fred Rogers. That's exactly what I do <laughs> in my job every day. Um, I was pretty excited, actually. the The big thing is that we we have all these events and and we get t shirts for them that say staff on them. And so I was pretty excited that I got to work my way up to finally having enough PBS wear that I could wear them every day and not have to worry about, you know, actually putting an outfit together. So, so I'm pretty happy that that's the case. It's in that way. It's a dream job for me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy doing trivia uh, around town a bit as well as around the country. Uh, I have some, some friends and I uh, do some stuff at geek bowl every year, um, wherever that is. And uh, whether it's in Seattle or Denver or uh, Boston. I think it's coming up in Las Vegas. And then uh, I was also lucky enough to do both Jeopardy and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And Millionaire was most recent. So yeah, I did okay on that one.
0: So were you you were a Meredith uh or, or, i was
1: not was, a meredith i uh, did chris harrison uh oh, yeah, I, her, yeah i did chris harrison that's exactly what i did um but uh <laughs> you you
0: and half of the cast of the bachelorette
1: yeah <laughs> woo. um but uh i yes i did not receive a rose and that was just fine with me yeah he was very nice actually he was very uh we'd been having an interesting taping day and by the time i got to five thousand, you know they they cut off the camera and he goes whoo thank goodness and i think he was very excited that so i was glad that somebody pulling for me there yeah it was uh it was a fun time i just did that that pat this past uh september and uh that's when it aired and uh yeah it was good times and now we're buying a new house
0: (laughs) Uh, Well,
1: spoiler alert. Uh, Spoiler! (laughs) (laughs)
0: Excellent. Well, uh, there's no phone of friends here, no uh, no poll the audience, no 50-50s or anything like that. But I will explain the rules for you and for anyone who may be listening for the first time. And if you are listening for the first time, where have you been? We're going to have four rounds of four questions apiece in each round. I will let you know the categories in order that we'll be using for that round. Before I read each question, you get to lock in how many points you wish each question to be worth. Get it right, you get the points. It is just that simple. And there's also going to be a halftime bonus worth 10 points. At the end of the game, you get to field what we call the confidence question, your last chance to try and prove your final score. But I will explain all of that when we get there. Enough of me badgering you to give you all these details about your life. Because <laughs> you're from Wisconsin.
1: Badgering. <sighs> Honey badger don't care. How you badger don't care.
0: <laughs> All right, let's get to round one, Susanna. Are you ready?
1: I am, let's do it.
0: Excellent. In round one, as always, the point values available to you are one, three, five, and seven. The categories we're going to be using for tonight's game are as follows. We're going to kick things off with literature, follow that up with movies, move along to who done it, and we're going to wrap up round one with Television. Literature is up first. Susanna, one, three, five, or seven.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Let's go big. Um, Let's try seven. All right.
0: Seven points for literature. Good luck. Let's see if we can start off very strong with the following question. What novel's final chapter begins with the line, For 11 years, I had not seen Joe nor Biddy with my bodily eyes.
1: Joe Biddy. Hmm. Can I ask how those are spelled?
0: Uh Joe is the standard J-O-E and Biddy is B-I-D-D-Y.
1: Let's see. Well, looks like we're starting out with a good example of hubris. <laughs> Cause you know, it sounds to me kind of like a like a Hemingway or Faulkner kind of thing. Joe nor biddy. Biddy. Yeah, Biddy is definitely like a Southern kind of sounding thing. I I have to say, Faulkner is one of my one of my blind spots. Um, thinking about who's got characters named Joe with my bodily eyes. Oh, then with my bodily eyes, that's probably not Hemingway. That's not a Hemingway word. Yeah, it's probably. What's the most famous Faulkner? It's The Sound and the Fury and As I Lay Dying. Yeah, let's just make it up. Let's say The Sound and the Fury.
0: Sound and the Fury is your answer. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, we have not come up with even the correct author here, so I'm sorry to say. If I read you the first line of this novel entirely, as opposed to starting at the end of the last chapter, perhaps you would get it a lot easier, because like most of these novels, this starts off with an explanation of the main character's name. Uh, My father's family name being Pirip, and my Christian Uh, name
1: being Philip. We're talking Pip.
0: Pip. We're talking... Pip returning to England here after uh, spending eleven years away. Mm. We're talking great expectations by Charles Dickens. All your great expectations of seven points. I'm sorry, uh, do not come to fruition. But yeah, uh, it's early. It's early.
1: It's gonna be a great show. It's gonna be a great show, guys.
0: <laughs> at, at least it's better than the original incarnation of millionaire. That mm-hmm. you, know, you don't have to go home now.
1: No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm here already, so.
0: All right, very good. Well let's let's hope the expectations uh yeah, sky's the limit from here. Uh movies is next. You have a one, you have a three, you have a five.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny, like I feel like I'm pretty good in in uh pop culture stuff, although God knows I thought I was pretty good in literature and that's not where <laughs> I am. Um but uh you know, let's go with a three, just cause. Just cause, no. Just cause. No, yeah, why not, cause?
0: Uh, <laughs> here is your three point movies question. Good luck. Robert Duvall and Michael O'Keefe were both nominated for Oscars in what 1979 film about a tough Marine named Wilbur Bull Meacham?
1: Um, you know this is interesting. I did some. There was some internet meme recently about um who were the. Your alias is the last name of, or the names of two people who were nominated for Academy Awards in the year that you were born. And the year I was born um, happened to be 1979. And so Robert Duvall was one of the choices. I want to say it's the Lords of Discipline. I want to say it's the Lords of Discipline. Let's just do it. Okay.
0: We're going to go with the Lords of Discipline. Uh, Robert Duvall, of course, I would say. One of his more uh, famous roles was Apocalypse Now. Uh, He also was in a film I believe called The Apostle, which he was nominated for an Academy Award I think he
1: directed that, yeah. He was in Tender
0: Mercies. There's a whole bunch of stuff. He's an actor. He's been nominated a lot. Uh, uh, Michael O'Keefe, on the other hand, uh, probably only known for uh, a little role in this uh, dumb little film called Caddyshack. (laughs) yeah. And yet, here he is uh, getting nominated for an Academy Award. This film, uh, Wilbur Bull Meacham, uh, he's kind of a, a tough Marine type. He's, you know, got a, a son. And, you know, how are they going to re- interact with each other? Because his son is just a big disappointment to oh, him. Oh,
1: dang it! Did I? Uh,
0: yeah, I think perhaps realization strikes you. We went from yeah. great expectations to
1: Great Santini.
0: The Great Santini, indeed a little okay. too late for the points but uh you know what that's why we ease in with the uh, with the low scoring round cuz uh, eventually you start to warm up in that hot seat uh, we don't okay it, we don't start at a high temperature but it, it gets hot quickly
1: can we get like a quarter point for that <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see how it goes i mean it'll you know. be it'll be nice to actually like tally something on here so we'll <laughs> we'll just keep going
0: yeah plenty of time left plenty of time left and believe you me there 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 have been far worse starts to games <laughs> <laughs> All right. Up next is Who Done It. Uh, you have a one, and you have a five. How many points for Who Done It?
1: Um, let's waste uh, some more opportunities on making an interesting show and go for the five. <laughs> All right,
0: five <laughs> points. Uh, good luck. Here is your five point Who question. This former speechwriter for Ronald Reagan is a Harvard University fellow, as well as the 2017 recipient of the Pulitzer Prize for Commentary. Who done it?
1: Animal, vegetable, or mineral? Um, let's see.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to go with animal. Are you sure?
1: Uh, A lot of people uh, they, they, they... lean toward mineral, you know. But, well,
0: you know, the Iron Lady sometimes does win, but uh, that's yeah. Completely different.
1: Commentary. See, I don't think it's Peggy Newton, but for some reason, that's the one that that's the one that's coming up right now. But um, usually, I do read the Pulitzer Prizes, the list at least, not the. Really, that's all you have to do. You don't have to actually read what they write. I mean, who needs that? But um, No,
0: oh, you're like, oh, those people are good writers. I'll never yeah. read their stuff. Never. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah.
1: Although, if I can put in a plug here, um, uh, I have an uncle who uh, won a Pulitzer Prize a few years ago, um, and he was the first one that actually won one for uh, Huffington Post, and his name is David Wood, and he does some really interesting writing on war reporting, But specifically these days, he's writing about what they term moral injury, which is, um, the, it's not just PTSD, but it's the kind of stuff that, that people deal with when, you know, after you've gone out and you, you've killed a bunch of people, um, or other things as, as well as just some of the really difficult, um, and untalked about injuries, um, and effects of of war, and um, one of the really interesting things about him is that he's a Quaker, um, and he's always been a Quaker. He comes from a long time Quaker family, and so for him to be a war reporter for his entire career um, is is just fascinating to me. So, um, yeah, if you go seek out that stuff, he he writes some really interesting things. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm still not entirely sure who <laughs> won the 2017 Pulitzer Prize for commentary. Let's see, Maureen Dowd, Gail Collins. Neither of whom has struck me as Reagan speechwriters. I don't know. Let's just go with Peggy Noonan because I'm just having fun already. But <laughs> Peggy <laughs> Noonan. Right.
0: Peggy Noonan is your answer. This is a former speechwriter for Ronald Reagan. Not. I don't expect people uh, to have gotten it from that, although I'm sure some people have. Uh, currently, this, this writer is working for The Wall Street Journal doing a column called Declarations, for which the uh, prize was awarded. Uh, the previous question, I had mentioned uh, Michael O'Keefe and his wonderful oh, role yeah. in Caddyshack, playing a character named Danny Noonan. Noonan. So Peggy Noonan is the correct answer.
1: Well, done. Oh, well, there you go. That's lovely. <laughs> Noonan, Noonan. Manu, Manu, Noonan.
0: I am so glad you did not uh, steer away from that after initially saying it. Uh, Good. That would have been sad.
1: Okay. Excellent.
0: Five points. You are on the board, so no need for that quarter point uh, that you were begging for earlier. You that you it. know
1: of. Oh, on yeah. <laughs> right.
0: well, one question left in the round. It is television. It is going to be worth one point. So are you ready for your one point TV question? I am. What actress played the role of Margaret Wanker, although the character is better known by her married name?
1: Um... You know, I'm guessing, I'm guessing we're talking about uh, Margaret Hotlips Houlihan here, my guess. Um, And okay, now let me think here too. Although, oh, oh, okay. So, so getting on the, the things that we've gotten from previous, previous questions. So we're probably talking about somebody named Peggy. Um, Could be Peggy Hill. Um, Peggy, oh, Peg Bundy. You know, they never talk about Peggy Hill's family. Oh no no! She was Peggy Platter. She was Platter because uh, because that's Luann's that's Luann's family. Yeah, let's go with let's go with Peg Bundy. So I'll say, and you said the the question is the actress who played her, uh, Katie Seagal. Katie Seagal
0: is your answer. So I really I I, I like your answer of uh, Loretta Switz, uh, Margaret, and Hot Lips Houlahan. Uh And I was a huge fan of MASH, and for the life of me at the moment, I cannot think of whether that I think that was her name was uh, that was she was she later got married so I think uh, several times on the show if memory serves uh, you know you know on those wacky war comedies the all, well, every marriage ends in, in a, a, some sort of air raid and bomb and death and yeah, sad. Uh, yeah, Margaret Wanker. Uh, Margaret being Peggy, Wanker being just the type of uh, silly name that they would give uh, because it's kind of a dirty word on a show like Married with Children. Katie Seagal, Peg Bundy. One point for you. Well done. Yay! Two in a row. Break! Break! Break it up! Break it up!
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, now for now, I'm at least at fifty fifty percent. So that's saying something.
0: Indeed. So six points in the first round is an excellent start to the game uh let us keep that momentum going maybe you'll double your pleasure double your fun because because the double Mint twins were played by uh katie seagal sisters who were seagal oh. sisters to... anyway it's neither here nor there uh, i sometimes just throw out these random things because my brain works that way uh, round two is up next point values are going to increase to two four six and eight here are the categories we're using in round two. We're going to kick things off with audio hodgepodge, which admittedly is a bit of a lifestyle. Uh, we're going to follow it up with mashup. Not to be confused with Loretta Swit on mash. Something completely different. <laughs> we're going to move along to sports. And we're going to wrap up the first half and round two with around the world. But first things first, audio hodgepodge. Susanna, two, four, six, or eight.
1: Um, Let's go... Let's go four.
0: All right, four points for Audio Hodgepodge. Here's how this is going to work. I am going to read you a question. When I'm done reading the question, I'm going to play a little clip for you. Hopefully, after you listen to the clip, you'll be able to correctly answer the question. And here is the question of which I speak. It's a very simple one this time. All I want to know is who is the speaker in this clip? It all points to him. I'm not afraid to point to him. Nobody's pointed him out and said, he did. I'll point to him. And why not?
1: The evidence all points to him. You know, it, it sounds like, it sounds like somebody doing a closing argument. It sounds like somebody's, it sounds like an African American man. Um, My guess is Chris Darden. Okay.
0: Chris Darden is your guess. Oh, okay. Uh,
1: Hold on just a minute here. I hope you're not trying to trick me because just it's it's a matter of whether it's Chris Darden or uh, who was it? Courtney B. Vance that was playing Chris Darden in the, the miniseries and the miniseries and the, the dramatic miniseries and the, the miniseries, the factual miniseries came out around the same time. Um, but yeah, let's let's just try with Chris Darden.
0: Okay, Chris Darden is your answer. Yes, the um, documentary version was actually produced by ESPN and won a lot of awards, uh, very well received. And the television version of it was a Ryan Murphy-produced uh, piece with uh, Courtney B. Vance playing Johnny Cochran.
1: Oh, oops, sorry. Yeah, I didn't ass. actually watch that. I watched like the first twenty minutes of it with Cuba Gooding Jr. and I was like, "Do I have to watch more Cuba Gooding Jr.?" But uh,
0: yes, my favorite part was, of course, uh, of course, uh, David Schwimmer constantly calling him Uncle Juice. That was
1: <laughs> yes, yes, David Schwimmer, and I, I do know that David Schwimmer had really interesting hair dye in that role.
0: Indeed, indeed, as as the one who uh, is responsible for all of us now keeping up with the Cardassians. But that's neither here nor there because this is an actual real life clip. Of a real life person. Uh, it wasn't Sterling K. Brown. It was a very famous murder case. So it was a very famous closing argument uh, about an incident that took place on Bundy Drive. Uh, it is indeed the OJ Simpson trial. And that is indeed Christopher Darden. Four points for you. Yay. Three in a row. Well done. You are on a roll. All that and a bag of chips
1: crunch crunch
0: yes it was probably the least um repeated of the closing arguments because everyone wanted to hear Marsha clark or at least pay attention to her hair and of course we all know about johnny cochran and uh let us all move on uh well we can all hunt for the real killers later mashup is next you have a two you have a six you have an
1: eight uh let's see here sports is coming up and i'm not super great at sports um so let's you know why not let's go with eight Eight
0: points for mashup. Good luck. Here is the mashup. This huge Walking Dead fan and very recognizable community contributor has a great recipe for a sweet apple based dessert.
1: Sweet apple based dessert. So, could be cobbler, apple pie, apple brown Betty, community contributor. Is that is that community with a small C or community with a large C? Well,
0: since I'm reading this clue, that's up to you.
1: Oh, son of a well, if we're talking the show, Dan, what's his face? Dan Harmon. That doesn't have anything. Like if I were going if I were going from the what we were just telling me, and thanks for the hint, what you were just telling me about the oj simpson thing you could probably say sterling k brown betty i wish it's funny my my husband is the walking dead fan in the family and and i try to stay away from it except that sometimes like he he tells me the plots and so (laughs) so i like that's all that's all i need um so it's a sweet apple based dessert why not let's just say sterling k brown betty
0: sterling k brown betty is your answer oh so close so close, I cannot give it to you. Uh, Clancy you were... Brown, Betty? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the brown Betty part, absolutely correct. That is your sweet apple-based dessert. Uh, we did just talk about the O.J. Simpson case, uh, where one of the uh, one of the tragic victims of the crime was Nicole Brown Simpson. There is an actress who is such a huge Walking Dead fan that she uh, appears constantly on. Uh, chris hardwick's talking dead show talking dead yeah and uh when uh chris hardwick had his uh problems uh with the hashtag me too movement uh he was removed for a brief period of time as a host and she came in and took over she was on community for the entire run of the show she is oh ah yeah yvette
1: Yvette nicole Nicole brown Brown betty is what Mm -hmm. we were looking for yep Eh.
0: big c community (laughs) right right that's okay. You know what? We can't get every question right. I wish it wasn't an eight pointer you got wrong, but we can't get every question right. Uh we're going to move along to sports. We have a 2 and we have a 6. I have a feeling, but you tell me.
1: I'll go 2, but you know, it's really this is such a this is such a toss up at this point. And plus like <laughs> it could go anywhere. It could go, you know, who was the third baseman for the 1956 championship AL team in the such and such or it could go, you know, who was the you know, go Olympic sports and stuff like that. So who knows? Who knows? It's all knows? a wonderful panoply of answers. Ooh, possibilities. Panoply, like a panoply of possibilities. <laughs> um, one might even say a plethora. So, uh, yeah, let's go with two.
0: All right, we're going go to go with two. Here is your two-point sports question, Susanna. Good luck. I hope you have chosen wisely. In 1983... Former Cleveland Browns great Jim Brown was inducted into a Sports Hall of Fame, which is located in what state?
1: Well, I hope it's not a trick question because, well, okay, so the Brown link is there. That's fine. If, if it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it's going to be in Canton, Ohio. I don't think he's boxing. Was he one of those guys that is, he played in two different kind different sports Yeah, let's just say Ohio. Okay, Ohio
0: is your answer. And uh, indeed, Jim Brown was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Uh, He retired from Cleveland uh, after the 1965 season. And in 1971, he was inducted into that Hall of Fame. Uh, However, 12 years later... In honor of his amazing uh, achievement playing a different sport back when he was at Syracuse University, my alma mater, where his number 44 is proudly hanging from the rafters of the Carrier Dome, Uh, Jim Brown was also an All-American in lacrosse and was inducted into the Lacrosse Hall of Fame, which is located, uh, originally was located in the city of Sparks. Uh, It has since been moved to Baltimore, both locations in the great state of Maryland. Maryland is what we were looking for. Ohio, a little bit too easy for the Beat My Guest podcast, unless I was playing uh, one of those uh, loosey-goosey with the... uh, Ooh, is he really going to go that simple? Was Uh, he
1: really going to go that simple? Probably not. I mean, sometimes I do. Probably probably not. not.
0: Lacrosse, Baltimore, Maryland is the answer. All right, here's where we are, Susanna. We have one question left in the half. It is going to be worth six points to you. It is our around-the-world question. Take a deep breath. Are you ready?
1: Yes, as ready as I'll ever be.
0: Excellent. Here is your six-point around-the-world question. The Great Wall of China, contrary to what you may have heard, is not, in fact, visible from space. What man-made statue, on the other hand, is visible from space depending of course on your definition of where space begins as it stands five hundred and ninety seven feet tall five
1: hundred ninety seven feet what man-made statue stands five hundred ninety seven feet well and it depends on see this is my problem I I overthink everything are you talking about the statue or are you talking about its elevation well, I, in this case,
0: I am talking about the, the statue from uh, stem to stern, as it will, from top yes. to bottom, is, five, okay. is 597 feet tall.
1: I want to say Statue of Liberty is something like a 100-some. It's not actually very tall. The things I'm thinking of are like Christ the Redeemer and Mount Rushmore is not really what I would call a statue. That's more of a monument. Man-made statue. So statue... A statue typically means a statue of a person or a statue of a something that was, you know, like a figure, something, somebody that was once living. I mean, the Gateway Arch, I want to say, is something like six hundred square, six hundred feet tall. The Statue of Liberty would have to include the the pedestal. And what did they say? What did they say in my question? My question on Millionaire was: So, what percentage of the real Statue of Liberty is the fake statue of liberty and it was 50 percent. and what did they say the size was yeah it's probably yeah it's probably the statue of liberty if you're including the pedestal i just like circularly reasoned myself around like 27 different things yeah let's just say statue of liberty
0: okay statue of liberty is your answer so The
1: Statue of Liberty
0: is approximately 150 feet tall. The statue itself, if we are going to go from uh, including the pedestal, we're still talking around 300. Not quite the 597 feet that we're looking at here. Uh, You also had mentioned the Gateway Arch, which is around 600 or so feet. Uh, That's a monument, not a statue. So, of course, that's not what we're talking about here either. Uh, This statue... Uh, is probably the closest thing on the planet Earth right now to uh, one of those giant Game of Thrones statues in, the, in Bravos. This is very recently built.
1: In is fact, it the Crazy Horse one? No, it
0: is a statue of a man named Vallabhai Patel. Uh, the city of Mumbai uh, put a whole bunch of billions of dollars into dollars and dollars of dollars into building this statue. It is called the Statue of Unity, and it is scarily big, uh, to just take a quick uh, Google image search of the Statue of Unity towering over the city, uh, it is a sight to behold. I, I, I'm not sure, from what I understand, uh, the, uh, the citizenry of India is not exactly thrilled with the expenditure, but uh, from an engineering feat, very impressive indeed. Uh, didn't exist when we were in school, but uh, certainly uh, it exists now, and uh, it's a sight to behold.
1: Well, Super.
0: There goes my chance at unity with Susanna for the rest of the day. But uh, nevertheless, four points uh, in this round. We're going to add that to the six you had coming into the round, which gives you a double digits, 10 points headed into halftime, uh, a feat that is not all that commonplace on this show. So well done there. Oh, Uh, thanks. Yeah, no, this is you're, you're doing quite well. The halftime bonus is up next. And this is our only partial credit question of the game. Here's how it is going to work. I'm going to ask you a question after I read the question. uh, I'm going to give you a little time to think about your answers while we pause for a few words from our sponsors. Okay, I don't have sponsors, but if I did have sponsors, this is where they would go. Instead, you're just going to hear me go blah, 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 blah. Uh, At least that's what most people hear because they just hit that 15 seconds forward a few times and they continue off the show. But nevertheless, here is your halftime bonus question worth a maximum of 10 points. Are you ready?
1: Oh, I am ready as I'll ever be, AJ.
0: Uh, you quivering with Antissa? Mm-hmm.
1: Patience. Patience.
0: You know, it's kind of funny because these packets are absolutely chosen at random. And, uh well, it's just funny to me that this is the halftime bonus that came up. Susanna, since 1957, the Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association. This is the actual question. Yeah. Has, yeah. The Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association has held a competition to crown the world's greatest cheese. Not counting the United States, which has won top honors 12 times. I would like you to name for me, for two points each, any five of the other eight nations to ever be named champion in this competition. I'll give you a few moments to think about your answers, and we'll be back after the break. Are you beating my guest? Or is my guest beating you? Tell us all about it on Twitter or Gmail at BMGPod. If you like what you're hearing, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you'd like to support Beat My Guest, helping to make more episodes like this possible, please consider becoming a patron at patrons.podbean.com slash beat my guest. And now back to me for the second half of this week's episode. And welcome back to Beat My Guest. My guest this week is Susanna Brooks. When we last left Susanna, she was sitting on 10 points. Working on the following halftime bonus question since 1957, the Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association has held a competition to crown the world's greatest cheese, not counting the United States. I have asked Susanna to name for me any five of the other eight nations to have ever been named champion of this competition. Susanna, what have you got for me?
1: Well, um, I think the one of the biggest is is definitely going to be, now, I say this with such confidence, and, and here's, <laughs> again, I'm just, nothing but hubris here. But um, one of the biggest that I can think of is probably going to be the Netherlands. They have Edom, you have Gouda, or as they pronounce it, Gouda. Um, you have all those. Um, so the Netherlands, aside from the Netherlands, France, France is going to be a big one. Um, Italy, uh, Italy has not just, uh, you know, the Parmesan and Asiago, um, and all those—that's um, pretty good. Um, and they've got, you know, your sheep's milk, your goat's milk, your cow's milk, your all sorts of different things like that. Um, the UK, the UK is probably one of them. UK is known for, um, you know, anybody who's seen their Wallace and Gromit would know that you you have, of course, cheddar. Cheddar is uh, very classic. You also have your, you know, your Stilton, your Gloucester, your all sorts of things like that. Um, and I know that. Uh, they've had some really wonderful cheddars from there. Um, And then of course, Switzerland, Switzerland, you've got your, uh, your Gruyères, your Emmental, um, you know, those sorts of things. Um, So yeah, I'm going to stick with, uh, um, there's some other options. You know, Ireland makes a really good cheddar, but yeah, let's, let's go with Netherlands, France, Italy, UK, and Switzerland.
0: Okay. Very good. Or, Very hood, as uh, the the Dutch would say, right? (laughs) (laughs) So let me uh, give you the answers uh, in terms of uh, oldest champion to newest champion, and we'll see how you did here. Like I said, you had to get five of the eight uh, in 1964, winning for the first time. And again, in 1986, we have our neighbors to the north, the Canadians. Canada has won twice. In 1972, the award was won by those wacky Italians, Italy. Two points. View that is the only time they have won. 1972. They've been in a bit of a dry spell of late. Uh, in 1978, also winning in 1990,
1: Austria. Austria. Austria.
0: Then we have a country that has won three times: in 1980, in 1994, and in 1998. Uh, they are. The proud country of Denmark.
1: Oh, we're getting close here. And we
0: are getting close. Uh, the next country to have won—they have won three times. They won in nineteen ninety-six. Uh, they won in two thousand four. They won in two thousand twelve. Huda for you? Uh, the Netherlands is correct. That's Great. another two points. Uh, then in two thousand, and again in two thousand two, we have the wonderful cheeses from Denanda, the ah, Australians. Really?
1: I can't even think about cheeses from Australia, although I'm sure they have quite good ones because they have so many sheep. But, um, well, okay.
0: Venezuelan beaver cheese, perhaps? (laughs) Uh, No, Venezuela has never won. Two countries left in 2006, 2008, 2010, and 2014. Uh, The number two country in terms of winning this award... Not to poke any holes into your thoughts, but Switzerland indeed is correct. Well done.
1: All right. And
0: had I asked this question last year, this country would not be on our list because they've only won once. They are our current and defending champions from 2018. They are uh, la Fromage de la Belle France, France is correct, just barely, but correct nonetheless. Eight points for you. UK never has won this competition.
1: Well, it's probably because the... It's it's interesting that you say the Netherlands... I mean, I can go off on this whole cheese thing again, <laughs> but because um, it's, a, it's a subject I feel very close to. But yeah, it's interesting because a lot of those uh, countries, the Netherlands, uh, I guess Italy, not so much, but maybe on the Milwaukee side of things, but in Switzerland... Um, there's a really big Swiss community here in Wisconsin, so if you're talking, I mean, I'm am certain that the the Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association is is open to just about anybody. But um, in terms of styles, there's not a huge UK cheese presence in Wisconsin. There's there's a there's a very solid uh, Dutch and French and Swiss, yeah. And there's actually we're I think we're the only one in the U.S. that is still making Limburger cheese, <laughs> but um, but yeah, we don't have a very strong uk so but get out there to your local grocery store and try all sorts of wacky ones because they cheese is one of life's pleasures and they should just hire me honestly i should just <laughs> i should you know the the number of days a year that i'm carrying cheese around with me and it's some different kind of thing is just be like oh you mean this cheese oh you mean the the most giant cheese board in the world that just happened you know two <laughs> months ago a mile from my house yes of course.
0: Very good, very good. And uh, as I learned from Alice Cooper in Wayne's World, it's pronounced Miliwake.
1: <laughs> which is not probably not Algonquin for the good land. But um, yeah, so let's see here. I've got plus eight points, so that would make uh, 18?
0: Correct, absolutely. 10 coming in, 18 going out. We are well on our way to a fine showing here. Let us keep this uh ball, perhaps I should say this cheese ball, uh, yeah, I'm a cheese ball. Let's keep this cheese ball rolling to round three. The point values are gonna stay the same, but two, four, six, and eight. The categories, though, they be a changing, and this is what they be a changing to. We are gonna kick things off with history. Move along to that happened. Follow it up with science. Science!
1: Science!
0: And we are going to wrap up round three with music. But history is up first. Susanna, two, four, six, or eight.
1: Um, history. Let's go with, uh, let's try four.
0: Four points for history. Uh, Good luck. And here is your four-point history question. In
1: 1835,
0: Colonel Thomas S. Meacham of New York wrapped a giant belt around a wheel of cheddar weighing close to 1,400 pounds and shipped it off to who as a surprise gift?
1: I should know this. I was trying to think of when when Queen Victoria was crowned, I should know this because I work for PBS and by rights, Victoria should be my life. But um,
0: on the next episode of Masterpiece Theatre,
1: Well, it's so funny because like this is, this is my job. I do the program guide. And so every January it's just, here's Victoria and Albert looking at each other this way. And then next January it's, here's Victoria and Albert looking at each other that way. And, (laughs) And I'm like, I love this show, but I can't, there's only so many poses you can have and i want to say they got married in 1841 but then 1835 and she was what like 17 so 1835 could have been queen victoria (sighs) shoot i should know the presidential years because it's i want to say that's roughly around the time of martin van buren who was from new york those are my those are my fuzzy years my fuzzy presidential years yeah, I'm kind of going back and forth between Martin Van Buren and Queen Victoria, right around the Alamo time too, isn't it? Um, but why would he send cheese to somebody that he didn't like? <laughs> <laughs> cheese is something that you send to someone you love. I don't know. Let's say, let's say President Martin Van Buren, whether or not he was in office, if my sketchy memory goes.
0: Martin Van Buren, uh, I believe Queen Victoria was coronated in 1838, so it was a little early. Uh, although you know he was shipping it by boat, so I, I suppose by the time it got there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't think he knew for sure that the coronation was coming when he sent it. Went by boat because it was so heavy. Uh, along with two uh, other wheels of cheese that were about half the size. One was dropped off along the way uh, so that the uh, governor of New York could get it. The other two, one of the 1,400-pound one and one of about 750 pounds, uh, went to the White House, where Vice President Martin Van Buren received the 700-pound one as a consolation prize. The big one was for the president at the time in his second term, Andrew Jackson is the answer. He was president at the time. It took him uh, all of two years to give it all away. He actually hosted a party, uh, a farewell party for himself, where he invited 10,000 people to each please eat some of this darn cheese. <laughs> they did. He finally got rid of it all. And uh, Van Buren, uh, in one of his private letters, was uh, known to write uh, after he did take office that he could not get the smell out of the White House and he had to. Uh, throw out all the drapery and and stuff like that.
1: Well, just for the record, I'm going to say Andrew Jackson did not deserve that cheese. He was (laughs) not a nice guy. So um, maybe it was, uh, it was the kind of thing, like when I was in middle school and we were having kind of a, Kind of a stupid day with my orchestra director. We were like, "What can we do that be super passive aggressive?" Let's all let's all just chew some sour apple gum and just stink up the room. So maybe that was what he was doing. Maybe he was like, "You know, I'll send fourteen hundred pound cheese down there, and you will remember me by gum, and you will not get that stink out." So ha. Huh?
0: <laughs> Febreze not invented yet. So uh, yeah, Martin Fabian. Took took him half his term just to get the smell out. <laughs> oh, that's a one reason not to seek re-election, I suppose. All right. Well, we didn't get that one. We were very close. We were very, we were close. very close. Like a silver medal on that one. We're now going to belong to That Happened, our kind of current events slash weird news question. Uh, you have a two. You have a six. You
1: have an eight. Oh, gosh. Let's go six.
0: Six points for That Happened. Good luck. And here is your question. After a recent quarterfinal match at the Grand Slam of Darts, Gary Anderson and Wesley Harms both accused the other of what act of sabotage?
1: You said darts, and I was like, I hate this question already. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. Like, the, something about the British, they love darts. They love snooker. They love the, all those things. And I just, my God, darts. I don't think I've ever legitimately played darts so I don't even know how it's, how it's supposed to be played, you know, like I think everybody has been in somebody's basement and sort of like whiffs it towards there. And and you're like, Oh, yeah, this is the kind of question where you, unless you know the situation specifically, you really have to just pull it out of nowhere. My guess is switching out the darts, switching, switching the, you know, all the darts are weighted differently. All the darts are, I'm sure there's a particular technical term for this. The little fluty flap things, uh, (laughs) where used to be feathers, but now it's whatever. Um, so I would say that, yeah, I would say it's, it's switching out the darts.
0: Switching out the darts is your answer. Uh, Yeah, Gary Anderson, a former world champion from Scotland and uh, Wesley Harms, I believe I uh, recall him being from the Netherlands, uh, involved in the tournament. Gary Anderson ended up winning this match. But afterwards, both men were disgruntled uh, and accusing the other of sabotaging uh, the efforts. Uh, You know, you you had actually said that uh, you if you don't know the answer, you kind of have to pull it out of somewhere. Well, these men were complaining about something being pulled out of uh, a certain uh, were they farting
1: were they farting?
0: Yes, they both blamed each other for intentionally farting up a storm to uh, distract each other. Uh, neither one would admit to having been the one to dealt it, uh, though both had smelt it. Farting is the answer. I'm so mature.
1: <laughs> You're talking to somebody who wrote an entire one-day special for Learned League on everyone poops. So, <laughs> Well, that happened. <laughs> well, that happened. It sure did.
0: Yes, and I, I mean, the headline just writes itself, Grand Slam of Farts.
1: That <sighs> let's, let's
0: try and move on as quickly as possible. Ain't I a stinker? Uh, science is up next. You have the high-low left, two and eight. How much for science? Two. Two points for science. Good luck. Here is your question. What chemical compound created when an attempt to hard-boil eggs goes on for way too long is the cause of that rotten smell in your kitchen?
1: I think it's methane, and methane would be related to farts. Um, uh, there's some sort of sulfur, something or other. It's a sulfurous smell, but I think it's, I think it's methane. Let's just go with it and get the question over quickly.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely want to limit your exposure to this question, right? Uh, methane is, of course. Uh, a natural gas kind of thing, and uh, cows kind of uh, are known for producing a large quantity of methane. It is a chemical compound, uh, but it is a carbon-based compound, not a sulfur-based compound. You are correct that the egg smell is sulfur-based. It is basically the iron in the yolk interacts with the sulfur in the egg white. Uh, They combine to form... Hydrogen sulfide, H2S. Hydrogen sulfide is that smell you smell in your kitchen when you've left the pot on too long.
1: Well, it was just right on the tip of my tongue, AJ. So
0: (laughs) yeah. Everybody poops.
1: (laughs) Everyone poops.
0: We have one question left in this round. We have not done so well this round. But hopefully, uh, we can salvage it with the music question. Eight points is what's left. So uh, you can definitely uh, do some damage with this question. Uh, how are you on music?
1: Well, it, it depends. Uh, on the one hand, uh, I do have a college degree in music history. And I am a professional singer. Uh, but on the other hand, when it comes to pop music and that sort of thing, um, I am demonstrably terrible.
0: Here is the eight point music question. What band? Is responsible for the following lyric: "Oh, when there's no future, how can there be sin? We're the flowers in the dustbin."
1: I would think that that's a it's a British band. And what did we do? We said we said hydrogen sulfide and eggs. I'm trying to I'm trying desperately to come up with a some sort of a link to the previous one, and I I can't seem to think of it. Something boils. Somebody with a boil in the No. I don't know all i can think of is like radiohead and arcade fire or something um could be an older band could be rolling stones Could be the decemberists because everybody knows that the decemberists write songs about smells about eggs i don't know let's just say uh just for giggles let's say arcade fire
0: arcade fire uh, a band with what 750 members
1: Yes, but you know, the interesting thing is, you know who probably has even more than that is Bon Iver Live. You have a one-person band and you get them on stage and they have like two world's biggest percussion setups and five other guys that each play six different instruments and also beatbox. And it's it was one of the loudest concerts I'd ever been to. It was pretty great.
0: <laughs> Still not as big as the Polysphonics Free, but that's... Uh, yeah. Eh, Anywho. Uh, So you were desperately searching for the link from the previous question, you you danced around all of the words, except for the one that would have been a dead giveaway. You were unable to recall that we were talking about the rotten smell in your kitchen.
1: Oh, Sex Pistols?
0: It is Johnny Rotten himself, a.k.a. John Lydon. Wasn't public image limited. No, it was the Sex Pie Stoles, as Avril Lavigne would say. Uh, Yeah, the Sex Pistols. This is from the song God Save the Queen. Again, the queen screwing you up here.
1: I always think that I always think that my my love for I wouldn't say I'm a monarchist, but I do enjoy royal watching. So,
0: so you're not a monarchist? Are you an anarchist? Or no,
1: I an am neither a mod nor a rocker. I'm a mocker.
0: Fair enough. As, fair enough. As
1: Ringo Starr would say. So uh, that was that was a round, wasn't it? That happened.
0: That happened. Yeah, you Richard Stark eat up that a lot. Uh, no points out of the 20 there. All right, so hang on. I got to do the math here. Um, 18 carry this. So 18 coming in, 18 going out. Uh, still, 18's better than uh, than uh, you started with. Peace and, and love. Yeah.
1: And love, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: round four is up next, uh, Susanna. So, you know, this is our highest scoring round for a reason. You still have plenty of opportunity to uh, pad this score before the confidence question. Point values increased to three, five, seven, and nine. And here are the categories for our final round. We're going to kick things off with wiggle room, move along to analogies, then uh, slide over to pop goes the blank. And we are going to wrap up round four and the second half with what comes next. So, first up, the wiggle room, our numbers category three, five, seven, or nine. Three. All right, three points. Good luck. And here's your question. Uh, we were just talking about the Sex Pistols and God Save the Queen. So, of course, this is the question I have to ask you. Since Queen Elizabeth II took the throne on February 6, 1952, there have been seven popes with the standard 10% wiggle room in either direction. What is the sum of the regnal numbers of those seven popes?
1: Oh, good Lord. Um, exactly. Right, yes. Yes. And I say this in a town where uh, our bishop just died suddenly on Sunday. So literally, good Lord. Um, If only I were Catholic. So let's see. We had John 23rd, um, John Paul 1, JP 2, uh, Benedict, I think he was the 16th, wasn't he? He Was he the 16th or the 14th? I think it was, was it Pius the, probably Pius the 11th. And let's just make this up and say Pius the Tenth as well. So we've got Francis. Now, here's here's my question: Do you count Francis as having a regnal number because he's Francis the First?
0: We will go into that explanation when we get there, but the wiggle room will account for either choice you make.
1: Okay. I don't even know where the Pauls were. The Pauls were Pauls could have been up in the twenties. Oh, Pius the Tenth was probably, I think, in the earlier part of the century. You know, I'm gonna take out Pius the Tenth. I'm gonna put a Paul in there. And Paul, this is where I'm just making this up. Let's just make this up and say it was let's see. How how does how does that look if I write it in Roman numerals? It's yeah, let's 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 make that up and say Paul the Do I wanna make up do I wanna make up Paul the sixteenth or Paul the Paul the Nineteenth? Let's make up Paul the Sixteenth. Okay, so yeah, I'm gonna make that up and I'm gonna say seventy.
0: 70 is your answer. All right. Well, uh, you, you did a lot better than uh, I'm sure uh, a lot of people did just in terms of coming up with that many names. Forget the numbers, but <laughs> you're spot on with the names. I'll give you that. We'll talk about the numbers in a moment. We, uh, The most recent pope, of course, uh, is Pope Francis. He is the first of his kind, first ever Francis, and he does not technically have a regnal number. Uh, So whether you put a zero there or just default him at the one, because, you know, maybe he won't, if there's ever a Francis II, he'll be known as Francis I. Either way, I've incorporated that into the wiggle room. Uh, So it's either a zero or one there. Uh, He's also the first pope, coincidentally enough, to make up a new name and uh, not take a number since uh, Pope Lando. That's right. There was a Pope Lando.
1: Well, uh, now is that really true because we had John Paul the 1st?
0: Well, but he took the number. He
1: took he the actually, number, really?
0: He took the number. He officially took the number as part of his name. Yeah. And so he, was he was what?
1: He, how long was he pope for? Like 23 days?
0: Yeah, but when he was named, he called himself John Paul the 1st. He he added that in in his name.
1: Well, good uh, for you, John Paul. Good for yeah, you. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So, we have Francis 0 or 1. Uh, we have Benedict who was 16. Not Cumberbatch, but just Pope Benedict. Uh, And then we had, uh, prior to that, we had uh, JP II, also known as JP the Great, John Paul. John Paul I, as we just discussed, who did take the number. So uh, either way, uh, that one counts. Prior to that, uh, well, the reason John Paul I was John Paul I is because he named himself after the previous two popes. One of them was Paul. One of them was John. Paul was the sixth. Ah. Only been six John was indeed the 23rd. Pius was before him. Uh, Pius was the 12th, uh, which brings us to a total of either 60 or 61, depending on your take on Francis. Uh, your wiggle room was between 54 and 67. Ah. Just a little too high, unfortunately. I cannot give you the points. Uh, but I give you uh, many kudos for uh, all but getting it right, other than your uh, misstep on Paul's number.
1: For the record, I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just wondering why why they didn't just go in order and have Pope John, Pope Paul, Pope George, Pope Ringo. I mean, it would yeah, have been exactly. a lot of sense.
1: Oh, Ringo, really. I mean, once you've got Lando, I mean, it's it's just a, you can go for anybody.
0: Indeed. Well, uh, you know, when we get to Pope Greedo, we we know who's shut sh- first. But anyway. Uh, <laughs>
1: yes. Let us
0: quickly move along before I lose more listeners. Uh <laughs> Analogies! Bless for me, bless for you, bless for everyone. Analogies is up next. Five, seven, or nine.
1: Boy. It could go so well. Uh, let's go nine. <laughs> there's, there's just no way to pick af- after anything. So let's just let's just go with nine. Yeah, it's somewhat
0: random, sure. Absolutely. You just never know. Analogies is up. Please complete the following analogy for your nine points. Martin Lawrence is to play. As Lauren Bacall is to blank.
1: Let's see. Martin Lawrence was in Bad Boys with Will Smith. Play. I don't know. You've got like Kid and Play. You've got uh, Black Knight. You've got I don't know what the connection is between Martin Lawrence and Kid and Play. It's just that when Martin was on, that was sort of the similar time when they were doing House Party. I mean, Lauren Bacall might say uh, you know, the, the famous quote about Whistling, you just put your lips together and blow. And Lauren Bacall was married to Humphrey Bogart. Lauren Bacall was in Key Largo. Lauren B- Martin Lawrence is to play. Tisha Campbell was Gina. It's probably something about a movie, though. I don't know. I think I'll I think I'll just have to say blow. Just just because <laughs> you know it it's got to be some some kind of reference to a quote, and um, you know that's her most famous one. So. Maybe it's some other word from that quote, but I don't know. But let's just say blow.
0: This is a hard one. No question about it here. Uh, I, I thought you had a fighting chance here uh, when you actually uh, took play, not to mean uh, uh, the verb, but the, the noun, uh, namely the proper noun as in kid in play. Uh, you were totally on the right track with that. Martin Lawrence's uh, breakthrough into the business, his big break, was in the movie House Party where he portrayed the cousin to the character uh, play who is in real life, Christopher Martin and Martin Lawrence is in real life plays cousin. That is exactly how he got cast as his cousin. So Martin Lawrence is to his famous cousin play as Lauren Bacall is to her famous cousin. Does that help you at all? Would you No, have any-
1: it doesn't
0: Lauren Bacall's famous uh, most famous cousin, Shimon Perez. Oh, interesting. They they were both born uh, with the last name Persky, mm-hmm. uh, and Lauren Bacall was doing a little genealogy research back in her heyday, and uh, realized that uh, her father and his father were related, and uh, she invited him over to to New York uh, to meet, and he did, and uh, she, she said, "Hi, you're my cousin."
1: Well, well, wonders never cease.
0: That one, you know, we, you know, we went full Catholic there. I had to throw in a question for the Jews, you know? Yeah. <laughs> fair is fair, equal time. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on. Uh, pop Goes the Blank is next. A pop culture question where you will have to fill in the blank. Let's see. You've got a five and you've got a seven.
1: Uh, let's take a seven. Let's get, let the, the blood continue to flow out.
0: <laughs> let's see if you can get this one. Seven points. I'm pulling for you. Susanna, here is your seven point Pop Goes the Blank question. On The Good Place, Darcy Carden plays a hyper-intelligent assistant named Janet, who was programmed to provide fun facts and trivia tidbits because Ted Danson's Michael thought it would be more in her blank. Fun fact, a blank is part of a boat. Um, do you watch The Good Place?
1: I do, so...
0: Fighting Chance. Fighting, fighting Chance. chance
1: okay. Wheelhouse. A wheelhouse is part of a boat. Uh, Yeah, so let's just go with that. A wheelhouse
0: is your answer here. Michael thought it'd be fun to program uh, her to give trivia tidbits. This is a trivia show, so I thought it only appropriate to use this question here. Uh, He thought that that would be more in her wheelhouse. Fun fact, a wheelhouse is part of a boat, is Janet's reaction to that quote. Indeed, you are correct, wheelhouse. Well done, seven points.
1: Yay. So it's been how many questions now (laughs) since I, yeah, it's been the, since the the nine questions,
0: So you did get some of the halftime bonus, but who's counting
1: your, your aim was to get us at up to 25. So here I'm at 25 now. So that's pretty reasonable.
0: There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who've never heard the expression in your real house then you haven't listened to the show before, <laughs> we use it all the time. A question in your real house is one that you really should know the right answer. You really should know the right answer if it's in your real house. Uh, I also like the uh, fun fact where uh, Michael uh, says, move out of your comfort zone. Uh, you know, Be a trailblazer. And Janet says, fun fact, all the important board- trailblazers are in the bad place. <laughs> The question is, will you know what comes next? Uh, It's going to be worth five points to you as we wrap up round four. Are you ready?
1: I sure am, AJ.
0: Excellent, Susanna. Here is your what comes next question. Good by Better Than Ezra, April 29th, 1995. Misery by Soul Asylum, five weeks later. Hold Me, Thrill Me, kiss me kill me by you two three weeks later what comes next four weeks later and for the next five weeks
1: so i'm guessing we're talking uh misery by soul asylum though i didn't think that that was a number one song but the other thing about hold me hold me thrill me kiss me kill me was the the theme song for the theme song for i believe it was batman forever Okay, so then that's going to be July 22nd, 95. And where was I? I was hanging out in my basement because I couldn't go to the Pink Floyd concert. Um,
0: was there a wall in your way?
1: Regrettably not. I had a sprained ankle. Oh. Kurt Cobain died in 1994, so it wasn't a Nirvana song. Even though I had no idea what it was. Oh, maybe we're talking about whatever was at the top of the alternative rock charts. Um, I wish I could hear Misery by Soul Asylum in my head, because then I would remember. I don't know. Let's say Bullet with Butterfly Wings by Smashing Pumpkins.
0: Okay. Bullet with Butterfly Wings by Smashing Pumpkins. Let's uh, get a few things in order before I give you the answer here. Uh, you are correct that you choose uh, Hold Me, Through Me, This Me, Kill Me was from Batman Forever, so... right there. I actually saw the Smashing Pumpkins when they were in Philly. I was not the hugest Smashing Pumpkins fan uh, uh, going into the concert, but uh, 31 songs later, uh, yeah, Billy Billy Gordon puts on a good show. So I I really enjoyed the concert on this tour. So One of my favorite SNL uh, jokes of all time by Norm MacDonald on Weekend Update was during the time that uh, Good by Better than Ezra was atop the charts, uh, and he, he said... Better Than Ezra has got the number one song in the country this week. Coming in at number two, Ezra. Ezra! Love that joke. So stupid, yet so funny. Uh, we are indeed talking about the uh, songs that were number one at the top of the uh, Modern Rock slash Alternative music chart. I believe they just changed the name at one point from Modern Rock to Alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good by Better Than Ezra was five weeks at number one. Misery by Soul Asylum, which is a song that I do not remember at all, was number one of three weeks, then the U2 song for four weeks. What was the song that followed U2? uh, Was the hit of the summer in 1995? Why would I expect you to know this answer without any clue as to who the artist might be? Well, you are correct in looking back at the previous question. I said that when something is in your wheelhouse, you really should know the answer. You, you, you really... Uh Ought to know the answer. Eh. You ought to know by Alanis Morissette.
1: You know, I I I I feel like a lot of people expect me to be an Alanis fan because that was all sort of girl power. I really did not like Alanis. I was not an Alanis fan. And you know, it was it was okay that she was a dogma and I I was like, "All right, this is fine, but I'm I'm not an Alanis fan." It's it's kind of you would expect that to be in my wheelhouse, but it's not. So So, foo on that. Well, you did get
0: one question right. You got seven points for that question. It was in your wheelhouse. And so we're going to add the 18 uh, points you came into the round with to that seven. 25 points as we head into the confidence question. Uh, What it all comes down to is that this is your last chance to try and improve your final score. Only one question is before you, Susanna. Only one answer is required. I will give you the category. and You must, must wager between one and ten points. Get it right. I will add it to your score. Happily. Get it wrong. You lose those precious points. I'm gonna ask you on a scale of one to ten, how confident are you in a category that I am calling the greater good?
1: You know, when you say something like a category that I am calling, you know that it's not <laughs> you know that these... it's not a pretty it's it's not super well defined. When I oh, was these, on Jeopardy, these yeah.
0: categories are more thematic then helpful.
1: Um, one of the defining features of my personality is I am a I hate gambling. I don't know. Let's just go seven. Part part of me says like the greater good. If you were talking about like philanthropy, if you were talking about like uh you know, my my family has a long history with non profits, which is why I work for public television and it paid the big bucks. But, you know, they pay me in tote bags, that's basically <laughs> Yeah, let's just
0: say seven. Don't feel so bad. You know, it's contestants like you that make programs like this possible.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Operators Next. are standing by.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here is your seven point question for the greater good. Good luck. In fact, the greater good luck to you. Here we go. To whom is the following quote about sacrifice most commonly attributed? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few.
1: I am so bad at my history. Um I want to say it's something about communism. It could be you know Karl Marx, it could be uh, Lenin, it could be Nietzsche, it could be back in Roman days. it could be something like that. I mean, it could have been anybody I don't know let's just let's just say Karl Marx.
0: Karl Marx is your answer. If you uh, ever do a Google search on this quote, you're going to find a lot of people questioning uh, the origin of the quote. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? Some people think it sounds very similar to uh, the likes of Jeremy Bentham, who was considered the founder it's of Utilitarianism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said things that were similar to this, but not quite this. There are some people who just assume it sounds like something Gandhi might say, and therefore maybe it's him. Tis not. People just could not believe that this quote was actually just made up and was original uh, when it appeared in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and was uh, amongst the final words spoken by Leonard Nimoy's character, Mr. Spock. The correct answer is Spock.
1: Well, clearly, I need to watch more more Star Trek movies. Although I will say that when I was... When I was younger, uh, I had the choice of watching Indiana Jones: and The Last Crusade in the theater versus Star Trek V in the theater, and I chose poorly. <laughs> so,
0: oh dear, you took a journey to the undiscovered country, didn't you?
1: I did, and it was should have remained undiscovered. But Wrath yeah. of Khan, yeah, I need to, I need to see Wrath of Khan.
0: The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. I cannot give you the points. I have to take them away. Still, Susanna, 18 points is a pretty darn respectable score. Uh, I hope you had a good time in the hot seat, uh, notwithstanding. Is there anything you'd like to say, plug, or uh, just spontaneously sing about before you go?
1: I'm just really distracted because there's pizza upstairs and I'm really hungry. But, you know, i uh, I just like to... Maybe I'll plug... I'll put another plug in for fine Wisconsin cheese. You know, when you're talking about the Netherlands, there's a really wonderful uh, company called Hollands Family Cheese, Family Farm, I think it's called. Um, but it's uh, Marika, and she pronounces it Howda, um, uh the Pentraman family. So uh, I'd like to put in a plug for them. And uh, I particularly like the, the fenugreek Howda. Um We also have a store uh, here in Madison on the Capitol square called Fromagination um, which is just fabulous, um, so yeah, here's, uh, here's to all of the, the fine dairy products from my state, but especially the cheese, um, there's a chocolatier here in town, her legitimate real name is Gail Ambrosius, and she makes the most amazing truffles, and they come in these little boxes, you can get a box of two, you can get, um, you know, larger boxes, she has, like, gold-bellied Buddhas that are dusted with gold, and, and uh, little turtles and all sorts of fun things like that. But um, you can get them shipped anywhere. And I swear to God, they're the most amazing truffles ever. So just in time for the holidays, um, no matter what you like or who needs them, get yourself some Gill Ambrosia chocolates. They will ship anywhere. They're the best. Uh, And also I should send send a shout-out to my good friend Ryan Chafee, who is my plus one on Millionaire. And, yeah, so that's that's my three shout-outs. Wisconsin Cheese... Uh, Gail Ambrosius Chocolates and Ryan Chafee Just Because and that's my story and I'm sticking to it
0: Fair enough. Buy that Ambrosius Chocolate. It's not only good it's better than Ezra Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much for taking part Susanna you may leave the hot seat. Thanks I just want to thank you for listening and we'll see everyone again next week. Until then take care and bye bye. Did you beat our guest or did our guest beat you? Tell us all about it on Twitter at BMGpod or email us bmgpod at gmail.com Also, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you liked what you heard, spread the word. This has absolutely knocked in a Mark Goodson Bill Todman production. I hanker for a hunk of, a slab or slice or chunk of, a
1: sniker day is a winner, and yet won't spoil my dinner. I hanker for a hunk of cheese. Yahoo!